This is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Monday morning to you. Mike McNamara for a Monday edition of All Marine Radio. Will is on the road. I'm headed to Germany. So Tim and Jeff uh, very gracious to accommodate me this morning. So um, without further ado, two-thirds of the Mensa Brothers right here, right now, on a Monday edition of All Marine Radio. Right here on your home for it, the All Warrior Radio Network. I'm headed to Germany, and uh, so very graciously joining me, not too long after we just did this a few, about, I don't know, not even 12 hours ago, um, maybe 12 hours ago, but uh, uh, from uh, Southern California, Jeff Kenny. How are you, Jeffrey? Good. Very good, Mac. Thanks. All right. And then uh, from McAllen, Texas, Tim Lynch. Tim, how are you? Doing great this morning, Mac. Thank you for asking. All right. So without further ado, Tim, you can give your update. And then uh, on the general situation, Jeff will update ops. Um, and then I've got a couple things that uh, that I'll throw in there. And then we'll talk about it a little bit. And then uh, we'll be on our way. Jeff's got to go to work. Tim's got to go to class, I think. And I've got to go to Germany. So anyway. <laughs> Tim has nothing to do. But he'll find something to do. Right. Yeah, I'll start uh, start today. Um, Wall Street Journal and many of the other major papers have articles explaining why Russia's invasion to you, of Ukraine is going to set the stage for fast rising consumer prices. And uh, given Will's excellent explanation of all of this yesterday, I need not mention it again, other than to say that that yes, the. Uh, the, 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 the rise in prices for exactly the reasons we'll lay, we'll laid out, which are not exactly a secret, are going to be hurting us and hurting the poor in particular in short order. Next up was Russia's opening of humanitarian uh, corridors from 10 a.m. East, I guess it's Eastern European Standard Time on March 7th to allow evacuations from the several Ukrainian cities to include Kiev and Mariupol. And that was supposed to happen, like I said, at 10 a.m. their time, March 7th, which means it's already happened. And I believe what happened is it's the weirdest thing. Artillery shells fell down. Who knows? Um, yesterday, I, I mentioned that one of the one of the components of uh, structural information traps is the illusion of total mastery over complex problems, which brings us to Tony Blinken and his performance on the Sunday talk shows yesterday in which he went into great detail explaining the continuity of leadership plan in the Ukrainian in case President Zelensky gets gets uh, off 
This is something of which he has no knowledge, no input, no nothing, yet spent a good half hour waxing eloquent about how we, we have a plan. We are going to back him up. We, this is the kind of shit that drives me crazy because it's a substitute for informed, uh, informed adult discussion of a very, very serious problem. Um, along with the uh, expanding of the war, I mentioned Americans getting involved yesterday, and, and uh, Stars and Stripes can tell you exactly how to do it. Now we have the Russians looking for Syrians to come in and fight with them, allegedly because of their urban combat fighting expertise. I don't believe that for one fucking second. If you're using artillery that you're, you're sighting in over the bore of the gun and blasting buildings, what the hell you need somebody with urban skills for because that's not the way the Russian war is doing it. So it, it's it's very difficult to decide what the hell this all means, why they're bringing in the students. Maybe it's because they need a little bit, they're more, uh, they're better at ruthlessly dispatching older older people and women and children. I, I doubt that either, kind of a slight on the Syrians, but who knows what the hell those guys are up to. But, but it's it's obviously an expansion of the war with another country's forces getting involved. And as I'm sure people now understand, my fear about the extent, expansion of the war is, is almost at ridiculously high levels because I just don't see anything good coming out of it. But I don't see us getting anywhere remotely close um, to uh, uh, getting away from it. And finally, we've got... Um, Again, it's it's the unceasing reports of indiscriminate attacks, uh, civilian casualties, all these other kind of things that that uh, dominate the news. And um, just in case you didn't think things were serious enough, the U.N. Security Council is going to hold an emergency meeting for an update on this today. So that's that's how serious it is. Even the U.N. Security Council is getting involved. Lots of talking. Not a whole lot of action on any front that I see. And I think a lot of this talk, because it's not mature adult talk, is, uh, is, is, is leading us down the road to a serious, serious problem. And uh, the only other thing I have is the controlling shareholder of Rusal, that's the aluminum producer of Russia, uh, is looking for ways of separating his company's international operations from Russia after his British chairman of the board stepped down this is part of the ongoing problem with Russian uh, uh, businesses. There's a lot of intermixing in international businesses that are headed up in Russia. The fact that one of the oligarchs, maybe in an effort to save his yacht, maybe not, who cares, is trying to figure out a way of separating <laughs> the company so that they can operate internationally independent of Russia is just another indication that we are in ground that we've never tread on before. And, we're, and we've got there in 10 days. And it's for me, it's it's a bit disconcerting. I would say terrifying, but I'm not scared of anything. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I just again, I just want to want to stress how how absolutely on the knife's edge of a serious fucking disaster we are. And for the Ukraines, they're already in it. Yeah, but yeah. you got to you can't lose your sense of humor. OK, no, no. That's the most important thing when things get shitty. A sense of humor gets you through everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah. come on. It's essential, right? It's essential <laughs> that you do it because otherwise you will lose your fucking mind, okay? Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I had um, 
I had some Marines, when they left Afghanistan, they came up to me, and they had worked in our COC. Uh, they were ASLAT guys, so they ran, uh, you know, they, they ran the medevacs, they, you know, they, they coordinated, you know, flights, you know, close air support, and they came up to me and they said, hey, sir, just want to, we're all leaving and just want to say thank you for everything this year. And I said, I said, hey, man, no, it was our privilege to have you guys work with us. And, and, the, and, and the, the first lieutenant, who was a team leader, was a prior enlisted kid, and his name was Jose, and he's from the Dominican Republic, and uh, just a great, great guy. And um, he said, you know, sir, we never thought that this thing, this experience would be fun. And I don't know how you did it, but you made it fun. And I said, well, sit down. And they, just, <laughs> they, look, they looked at me, and I said, do you think that's an accident? I said, it's just not, it's just not fucking around. This is hard work, man. And if you don't let it breathe when you can, you will run them into the deck. I said, so I, I mean, this is a little leadership lesson here. You've got to let it breathe because uh, this is hard, intense, shitty work. And if you're going to be here for a long time like we are for a year, you better have people that, you know, can, can let it breathe. And so I, I, to me, a sense of humor, and we've always been blessed with it, as people who listen to the program will tell you. Um, you know, we've always been, you know, guys capable of doing, you know, really intense and hard stuff. But at, at, at a moment's notice, we can flip the wheel 90 degrees right and, and be stupid and have fun. And, and I think it's a component of being successful over a long period of time. And so Timmy just uh, showed it to you in action, right? I mean, it's dire stuff going on. Dude, but. I, rem I, re I remember walking into your COC in Afghanistan. You had no idea I would be there, that I was even in country. You hadn't seen me for 10 years. And uh, walking in there and with, with, with the, you know, General, then Colonel Furness leading me in, smiling like the Cheshire cat. And I could tell from your, well, your reaction was, of course, what, well, obviously people understand that we're sort of close. You know, you jump up and get all excited. And I'm looking around at that damn COC. And all I'm seeing is people with smiles on their face and grinning and shit like that. And I could tell within five minutes of watching them operate that I was in a COC where people knew what the fuck they were doing. Because every COC you walk into does not give out that vibe. But I wanted to take my hats off to you, Mac. Because I spent much too much time complimenting Will yesterday, and it bothers me. Well, let me just tell you, I that's what I did, right? Most people get promoted and move on to greater responsibilities, <laughs> not me. I'm like a lance corporal in the British Army, right? Stay that fucking rank yeah. for, forever. And I mean, and, and I will tell you what, I mean, as a reservist, um, I could contribute something, right? Because I knew how to fucking run that thing. And, you know, things that nobody did, right? Make everybody read the insum. And then at about, I don't know, 11 o'clock, we would go around the room and you had to pull one thing out of the end sum. We'd start with the junior fucking Marines in there and they had to say one thing that, 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 that broke squelch for them. And so, you know, the young Marines would only have to read the first page, right? The more seniors you got, you had to read the whole fucking thing because everybody was going to take all your shit that you wanted to talk about. But, <laughs> but what that did was it had their head in the game and they would see shit in chat windows. And I remember we had a Lance Corporal by the name of Ipina and he was a journal clerk. And one day he says, hey, sir, I think Marines in 3-1 yoked up that truck, right, that, that got out of 2-3's AO, um, you know, a week ago that had all the shit in it. And you're like, what? And so here's this, here's this, and he read it in the end some. He, he knew it squirted, and we were looking for it. And you had two separate battalions, and they weren't really touching wires. And this Lance Corporal 
gets on and he whispers to a journal clerk and he says, hey, man, you guys need to talk to, you know, 3-1. I think they're looking for that. And bigger than shit, they were. And it had all kinds of shit in it. And and it was just, and I made a fucking huge deal of that, right? And he yes. was so fucking proud. I had Colonel Furness come in. And um, so, I mean, I was a one-trick pony. I was a one-trick pony. But, I mean, it was intense. And we read what happened to, you know, you know the, the events Jeff was a part of up there. And I didn't know Jeff was up there. And, and I made everybody read some of the AARs that came out of that event. And I said, look, we will never fucking do this. If they want us to shoot, we will fucking shoot. We will apologize later. And you got to know the ROEs because if they're in duress, we can shoot anything. Everybody got, and so, and they knew their fucking jobs. And so, I, I mean, I, and I, obviously I take great pride in it, but to me, you know, I, I wish I could have been doing something else. I think everybody everywhere wishes they were the next echelon forward and, and whatnot. But I got a chance to be involved in the killing and the shooting and the saving, you know, that both 5th Marine Regiment did, the division did, and 1st Marine Regiment did. And I mean, I, I took the same pride in that as I did with running R5 and, and it was a supporting effort to other people and. And you know you are where you are, and so, uh, but no, and but but and then the day you walk in, it's like, what in the fuck is going on, right? <laughs> Bo- Bo- Boomer Milstead walked in with with the commandant General Amos one day, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, that's Luke. Been, that's been exciting. Oh my God, Lou Craparata. Uh, no shit. Lou Craparata was the was the CG, and he followed Jody Osterman. That was the CG. All these guys we've worked with, right? And now they're coming yeah. in. I remember the commandant showed up, and I, uh, I'll end right after this, but um, uh, Boomer comes in. He goes, hey, do you have any war porn that we could show the, the commandant? And I said, oh, man, we just got the Harvest Hawk, which was the C-130 with this pod on the back ramp strapped to it. And they would shove, you know, dumb bombs with fins and, and a smart nose on it. So they were precision-guided munitions. And the key thing about the the harvest, the C one thirty, it would be up. It would be up for eight hours, so it was up forever. And these things flew subsonic, so there was no noise associated with them. So there was no like warning before it got there. And I, we had these guys try to ambush one of our one of our uh, squads that was out on a patrol, and we followed them. And they and they linked up in an ORP, and the harvest hawk was on station, and we shot this fucker. And it exploded right in the middle of about eight of them. It was fucking beautiful. And nice. um, yeah, and again, nobody scored it because they didn't hear it. And I, I said, yeah, hey, when he's ready, tell him to come in. I, I said, Boomer, here's a quick here's a quick peek. He goes, oh, we fought our asses off to get that thing. I said, yeah, this is the first time we've really employed it. And he goes, oh. So, I mean, it's cool shit like that with guys you've known forever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway. All right. I digress. Jeffrey, a uh, little bit of ops update. Yeah, I was, I'm glad to know that you guys, I thought you guys in the COC were always having a, a laugh a minute. Now I know it's true. You just admitted it. So. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I was a, I was a giggling fuck the whole time I was there. I don't, I don't so, think that's true. Well, but, you're the point. No, you're but I know, let me tell you, well. Jeff Kenny <laughs> is the son of Ronnie Lee Stepp, right? And yes, Ronnie yeah. Lee Stepp can make you laugh when he's kicking you in the balls and making you puke, okay? And uh, and Jeff has the same gift, right? It's not glib very much. It's very much dark humor at times. But nonetheless, you'll laugh your ass off. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the uh, 
you know, the Russians put out that uh, they want to do a ceasefire proposal. And uh, Ukraine, but it's, of course, it uh, comes with, uh, and uh, as, as Tim covered, the, uh, the, uh, the routes for the uh, refugees to go to safe havens or safe havens in Belarusia and Russia itself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know kind of, if they're, they're obviously serious because they're not very humorous, the Russians anymore. But it's, uh, it's, it's you know, ludicrous that people would do that. It seems like the way things are shaped up, the hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians are stuck in these uh, built-up areas, cities, and they're under bombardment. And uh, it looks like, the, the, you know, what else, where else can the Russians go but to try and actually invest the places uh, and ultimately to try and take Kiev. So that's, uh, that's pretty much what's going on there now. Not too much change from yesterday. Um, I got something, though. Um, the... Uh, Russian forces are continuing to shell the city of Mariupol and its surrounding areas. Uh, they're accusing the Ukrainian side of preventing civilians from leaving. Um, so there's a constant. Uh, it's hard to know, you know, the truth of this thing because they're both, uh, as Churchill said, they're surrounding the actual situations by a bodyguard of lies, and uh, and, and they have to, you know, they have to. They, so the, both sides are kind of doing that, but. Uh, Obviously, the Russians are in the wrong because it's not their country, and they invaded uh, Ukraine. So, you know, there's that. The uh, um, I, I think that uh, w what might actually, as Mac would say, would break squelch, would be uh, the the issue of the nuclear power plant. You know, and I don't really know enough about it, but it's, it seems to me a bad thing if you if you reduce one of those things, uh, you know, in a in a kinetic way. Uh, that there'd be some kind of effect similar to Chernobyl, you know, back in the in the '90s or whenever that happened. Yeah, so there's there's that. Um, but I think that uh, you know the Ukrainians will probably morph this thing into a counterinsurgency, and uh, they certainly have a lot of support for that. Again, that'll you know, as Tim was saying, that'll heighten tension because the only way, as we know, the only way a counterinsurgency continues to thrive is if it has a safe haven. And it's well supplied from the outside, and that well and that well supplied part uh, will um, eventually result in the Russians issuing ultimatums to third countries like Poland and Moldavia and uh, and uh, Romania, all those countries at border that might be compelled to try and either you know move uh, supplies and fighters in, or to help uh, Ukrainians who are maybe wounded escape. And so uh, we'll, we'll see that. And I don't know how long that'll last. I mean, ours have lasted a long time when we did them. And uh, you know, I don't know if uh, there's the same type of temperament there. But pretty much that's what I've noticed you know, about what's been going on lately. The, uh, let me just throw a couple. I, I'll put the links to these two articles. But one is a, a Wall Street Journal article entitled How Ukraine... How Ukraine blunted the Russian advance, Moscow's miscalculations and unexpected resistance derail plans for a quick victory. Um, written by Brett Forrest and Alan Cullison. I don't know either one of those guys, but pretty interesting article now that lays out in a bit of detail um, um, what's gone on. And, uh, and so I, I, it's very interesting how the Russians have used um, uh, the kind of tactics the Russians have used and, and the kind of fighting that the Ukrainians have done. So it's, I, I read that article. I woke up at, at about 2 o'clock this morning. There's another, uh, this is a New York Times story, 
And uh, this is written by David Sanger. So when you see David Sanger's name on something, he's you know pr- pretty prolific writer. Uh, Eric Schmidt, uh, Helene Cooper, Julian Barnes, and Kenneth P. Vogel. But it's it says Army Ukraine seventeen thousand anti tank weapons in six days, and clandestine clandestine cyber ops. So it's pretty interesting. It talked about the the $60 million in aid that that the United States sent Ukraine last, I think, August and, or last summer, and it took till November to get there. When the 350 million that we talked about a couple weeks ago, um, I wanna say like 80% of there got there, got there within seven days. That was, that, that, that was the logistical effort of, uh, you know, European command, which is pretty impressive. And it also talked about um, cyber support, you know, and they said, you know, this is double secret black shit and nobody's admitting anything, but here's what we've heard, that there are American uh, units that, you know, are advising and giving technical support to Ukrainian units who are actually doing the shit. So, um, so I, I mean, two, and I'll put those articles uh, in this post, but the the other one, based on you know Will's comments yesterday, and where the direction of, you know, whatever your your thoughts are about green, being green or not being green, are really irrelevant because there's a reality that, that is going to be shoved down your throat, okay? And the only way to mitigate what's what's going on, and uh, and removing Russian oil from the world market, is you have to stop you know, this this movement to trying to be green when you can't be. And now what's happened is um, a lot of what people base that on has changed. And so the, the article is from Reuters. The title is Belgian Greens Make U-Turn on, Make U-Turn to Consider Nuclear Plant Extensions. So the article talks about um, that the Greens, uh, who are part of the ruling coalition in Belgium, um, and this is a quote, plan A is ready and feasible, but reassessment is needed with Ukraine. We also need to look objectively, interesting word for, from a politician, at problems and obstacles related to an extension. The last two reactors present 3% of our energy. We need a major breakthrough for 100% of our energy. Um, and so um, also what was curious in the article is Germany did the same thing, Right. Um, so uh, the article goes on to, to talk about the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, Europe's top gas supplier, has also prompted Germany to reassess its planned phase-out of nuclear and coal facilities to cut reliance on Russian gas. So, um, so interesting. I mean, again, in the very, very short term, you have uh, Belgium and, and Germany, you know, both staunchly committed to being greener, you know, walking those plans back for very pragmatic reasons. So the next question is, when does that when does that discussion begin to get serious here in the United States? And I say it's you know I just filled up my gas tank, and paid over hundred bucks to fill up twenty gallons at five dollars and twenty cents a piece, right? Most of the rest of the nation is gonna wherever they were, they're gonna be paying considerably more than they did last week when this was a theoretical discussion. Now it's not anymore, and so people are gonna be looking to somebody to do something about it. 
right? And and the whole thing of, oh, oh we're not really going to do that is not what the American people are going to be happy about. So it'll be very, very interesting. So with that said, you know, um, open up the floor to wherever this goes. Well, Elon Musk has pointed out for years that your third generation nuclear plant cannot have a meltdown the way it's designed and that the fourth generation plants are so efficient at burning fuel that we could use all the expended fuel that we've stockpiled to to, to make them function. In other words, they they can run off of the off of the the fuel the expended fuel that we're trying to figure out how to get rid of. So the the viability of nuclear is is not within a debatable it's not debatable unless you're in the mainstream media uh, narrative universe and it's. This is getting to be beyond frustrating because as as and I keep on going back to your talk with Will yesterday because I was really founded excellent. We're hurting poor people. All this war, uh, all this war on on fossil fuels and this an attempt to get into a totally uh, zero carbon <clears throat> future hurts poor people. The fastest way to improve our planet is as exactly like Will said, give coal to people in India and in the, in the remote regions of China, places where they're cooking with wood, bring everybody's prosperity up to a baseline level of whatever it is you want to be. Because when people start making money and they're not cooking over wood fires and they have shit that they own that belong to them, they tend to get concerned about the environment. That's the exact way forward. It's infinitely reasonable. It makes absolute sense, which is why you'll never see it in the press except for on obscure uh, um, uh, websites. And of course, the uh, the common sense presentations on our marine radio, which which is basically providing you a guide to live by on some of this stuff. But it's frustrating that we're still having conversations about this ridiculous bullshit. And oh, by the way, just today, the New Yorker, um, as a matter of fact, I, uh, I went in and, and already clicked out of it. The New Yorker ran a front page article about the fact that LA is finally getting rid of its of its uh, derricks, of its fuel derricks, because you know they're just horrible for the environment. They're an eyesore. Blah 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 blah. Just today, the end of oil drilling in LA. I just found it again from the New Yorker, printed on March third, and and this is a propaganda piece saying shit about oil that's not even remotely true, and it's talking about exactly what it is we need to do, which is which is increase our production. But this is how clueless the mainstream media is. Nobody that's serious can read this and say to themselves, wow, that that writer made a good point because he or she, that's a she, she did not. She she did not. She just, she just recycled old talking points which have proven false. And, uh, and, and what we get, what we get in return is eco crucifixes. That's what I call the bird, the bird mills that, that produce that produce uh, uh, so much, so little electricity, and not in my backyard, uh, you know, in this total NIMBY reaction about um, any kind of power production anywhere near where they can see. So we can have wind, but we can't have it on the sound outside of, uh, of Massachusetts and Provincetown. At least all the pretty people, all the wonderful people get annoyed by seeing these bird killers out there, and we shouldn't have bird killers. E.B. Sledge is turning over in his grave over these bird killers. That's, I, I'm getting way off track. I'll shut up. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> no. You, I'm, you can keep I'm going. Just, I'm in a rant mood. I'm just wanting to rant because it's so frustrating. 
it's clear as day what you need to do to get away from uh, putting so much carbon monoxide in the air. Not that I'm convinced that's a bad thing either, you know, but but agreed. It's not good that we uh, it's not good that we're contributing to global climate change, whatever percentage it is that we're attributing. And I think that percentage is mighty goddamn low based on historical records and fluctuations in sea, sea levels and air temperatures. I mean, there's nothing that we've seen in our lifetime that's not well within the historical fluctuations that have been observed since we were writing shit down. So I, I, I just, this, this is finally, finally going to be a wake-up call, I sincerely hope. L let me ask you guys a question about, um, about, the, uh, about the war. What has been the one thing that pro that has, um, I'll use the word surprise. What is, in terms of surprising, what has surprised you the most in all of this, Jeff? Right, I would I would say, the oafishness of the Russian military. They, they just don't seem to be doing the simple, uh, what seemed to be simple, and we know they're not, tasks in order to facilitate. The incursions that they've made so consequently they're running out of gas they're running out of ammo uh the troops are lost uh you know they're uh they're they're being stymied by the by the ukraine ukrainians and uh it just seems like that's the thing that really that kind of surprised me is how how uh ineffective the russian military is tim what about should have gone a lot better for him. yeah what tim what about you well, it's the exact corollary to what Jeff just observed, which is how effective the Ukrainian military is. We we have talked at length over the years about how fucking hard it is to be good at the infantry game. I mean, it really, really takes a, a well-tuned machine that produces the basic infantrymen, and then he's got to join a unit with that's organized around people who know what the fuck they're doing, and, and from there they start training in the collective skills that it takes to become a very proficient and lethal infantryman on the modern battlefield. It's fucking hard to do. Now, I just talked about the first Ukrainian operation that was featured on the Wall Street Journal, where they had a picture of this lieutenant, and his op and his mission, how he executed it, was horrible. He was a territorial guy. He might have learned some lessons. It, it was it was a, it was tactically kind of like a, a, a watching a, a reading about a clown show evolution. But he's not, apparently, he's an exception that's proven the rule. He has to be. Because although we haven't seen detailed writing on, on Ukrainian armed forces, with the exception of that Special Forces article that you circulated a couple of days ago, Matt, mm -hmm. in which the guys are, are, are some panzer-killing sons of bitches, which is good, that's what infantrymen are supposed to do, with the, with the exception of that, we've seen no detailed reporting on how this army performs, how it's performing this well, and I don't think it's real hard to figure out where they get the cohesion from, the battlefield cohesion, but what they've done is, is friggin' remarkable, and it's not just ballsy dudes banding together to defend their former neighborhood, it's the logistical piece, it's the indirect fire piece. I understand they've made at least one raid on a Russian airfield in Russia, ballsy, 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 love that shit. It's the attitude of that entire armed forces to although they're getting hammered, stay on an offensive mindset and not give up one inch of ground. And I, you know, you, we're, we gotta love it. That's, that's uh, how does free people not watch this and just say, 
I love it. This is awesome. But it's awfully hard to be that awesome. So we, I'm, I'm just shocked. I'm shocked at how good they're doing and hope that they are, in fact, doing good. I hope it's just not because Russia's so bad it makes anybody look good. I want to believe the Ukrainians have, have developed themselves a little mini superpower of Superman. I love this story. But we got to see how this, how they're, how they're doing it, because it's still in my mind. It, you look at it every day. You look at where they are. You're like, what the fuck is going on with those Russians, man? How can this be? It's weird. Yeah. So far, the Russians have been. Uh, they haven't really put the screws to the Ukrainians yet. Like you see, uh, you know, civilians demonstrating in front of tanks and stuff like that. Uh, the Russians of uh, 1956. That you know that wouldn't fly. So eventually, um, you know, I think Putin's going to have to, if he wants to make the, if he wants to use intimidation and the infliction of pain to make people do what he's saying, he's going to have to turn that up. When he does turn it up, people are going to be able to see it because, you know, hey, hey to, Jeff, you know, let me, let me, some others, you know, yeah. let me ask you a question that's kind of tangential to something you said yesterday. Does he have that military that will do that anymore? I mean, that's the question, right? Right. There he is. There it is. Maybe that's why you hear about them bringing in Syrians and Chechens. And uh, they're trying to, th those are, are for, you know, uh, for consumption uh, in the I.O. field to make the, you know, make the Ukrainians afraid. Doesn't seem to be working. I don't know right. if they actually did it. But that kind of like, is, is kind of like uh, refers to what you're saying, Matt, and that his guys just don't have the guts, stomach for it to be to be like that kind of cruel stuff like they pulled in Afghanistan, you know? And, and, and as recently as in Chechnya, you know, uh, you know, 10 years ago or so. So um, it's interesting yeah. how that happened, yeah, why, let me, why that happened. Why I'll happened. tell you what, what's, uh, I, 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 would, I would hybrid off both of you. The first thing that stun, is to me stunning is the lack of might of the Russian military. Right, we we read all the stuff about how they've been re retooled and they weren't the the inept force that, that people thought them to be years ago, and so you were waiting to see this 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 monstrosity unleashed, and then it was, and then it didn't go anywhere, and so and again, but there's been you know no you're just starting to see reports trickle out about how this is being fought, and so to me now what I'm most curious about is the Ukrainians went to school, man. And they they went to smart guy school, you know, and 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 you know you're gonna go play. You bet your life. And they, I mean, this is this is I don't even know what the right word is. Impressive is not the right word, but I mean, you stare down. Miraculous. Yeah, you you stare down that, and you, and you do this in its face. I mean, these guys went to school hard, 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 hard. And so now I'm 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 riveted to the, to the story. How are they doing it? How are they surviving the Russian exactly. indirect fire capability? I mean, shit, man. But I mean, they 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 <laughs> they, dug, they dug into those trenches. Did they dig in right, like Iwo Jima style? We're going subterranean, boys. We're not going to be here on the surface in fighting holes. We're going to be deep, and they can shell the shit out of us. Right, and it's not going to matter to us. We're we're going to bleed them Iwo Jima style, right? And so that's how they survived the initial onslaught. And then it's like, 
uh, armor m- units move through, and now we're ambushing everything, and they can't they can't find us so well because we fought them to a stalemate in the air. And as you know, as t- again, we saw that story yesterday: counterattack to the river in the area of Kharkov. Like, what the fuck is that? It's like, is that yeah, true? Yeah. Is that true? And, and and I think we all sit here feeling the same thing. Like, God, I really want to believe that's true, but I don't know. I mean, is that that's hoping against yeah. hope. And so I, that's what I'm fascinated about is 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 how did the, the school that the Russians put themselves through to come up with this spine of steel and these tactics that would work against this behemoth that they would fight? And I think that's fascinating stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the how much it makes you think in the Soviet Union, how much of their military uh, competence was because of the Ukrainians they had in the service. You know, yeah. I mean, I think Khrushchev was a Ukrainian, and uh, all those uh, those partisans fighting in the private marshes, and up there in the you know the the part of the, uh, the Carpathian Mountains that's mm-hmm. in the Ukraine, mm-hmm. there's Ukrainians. So you know, it's like uh, you just wonder. Shit, they they were sorting out of Kiev back in the Ottoman Empire days, trying to take Constantinople every ten years. They've always been badasses in that part of the world. But, yeah, but you know who has not again, been a badass? What they what they've done right in terms of you know it's one thing to be a badass, it's another thing to be a really smart badass against a a foe that will bludgeon you. Right, and that's 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 big time, man. That is big time, and the Ukrainian military. You know, I mean, I, 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 I pray to God that they that they win this thing because the parade they will have in Kiev will be something that the whole world would needs to watch. Yeah, yeah. Right, and I hope that they grab the battle standards of the Russians and throw them against some fucking Ukrainian monument like the Russians did to the German, just to say fuck you, motherfuckers. Right, and if you've never if you've never seen that parade, uh, the Russian victory parade in uh in moscow after the end of the second world war and they had all these battle standards and you know these regimental and division symbols that they marched into red square and threw them against the wall of the kremlin right and then they fired like a bazillion rounds of artillery someplace right and they said it was fucking awesome but uh yeah but something like that as a celebration and tribute to their valor and brains and courage in the face of uh you know, overwhelming odds. I mean, it's 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 incredibly inspirational. I mean, just you know, God God bless them and hope they hold it holds. What next twenty four hours, Jeff? Um, given all this back and forth, and again, once again, what's the major story today? It's not a tactical or operational story. It's about corridors. It's not about a city yeah. falling. It's not about a massive front and a, and a huge fight, which lends itself to our initial you know discussions of two hundred thousand. Let's say how many of those guys are trigger pullers? Half of them, maybe a hundred thousand divided by five efforts, and two of them are going after Kiev. They don't have enough ass to do it, and that was our, you know, going in proposition. It's those are big cities. That's not enough. And um, I mean, is that as is that as complex as it gets? And now we're just going to watch them rubble the shit out of stuff, and that's why you see the stalemate that you do because they don't have enough. So uh, I. Again, fascinating stuff. Next 24 hours. Yep. Well, I think um, you're going to see some kind of uh, 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 organization to start to develop to uh, to get lethal aid into Ukraine in a systematic way. I don't mean the fact that people are just making promises, we're going to give them this, we're going to give them that. And the, 
some of the th- some of the things you guys talk about, like that money going in, uh, a more systematic way of getting stuff in and people out. You know, because uh, I think what you're going to see is the government exile is probably going to be in Poland. You know, if they get to the point where they have to they have to be able to uh, to you know function as a nation, and it gets to be too hard to do it while you're under bombardment, they establish one uh, outside the country, and that will lead to I think, and I'm not a lawyer, as you guys know, but I think that for us to be able to uh, effectively support them, us being everybody who's not Russian, <laughs> you know, then uh, they'll have they'll have to be some kind of legal uh, caveats uh, from us. I know the president has to has to uh, sign off on a, a you know, and, and Congress has to sign off on the uh, willingness to provide lethal aid to people who are under uh, under attack within their own country. And, uh, and that means they'll have to recognize that that uh, government in exile will have to uh, you know, establish uh, norms with that. And that could lead to heightened tensions between Russia and us, first and foremost, and Russia and, you know, European countries that are powerful like Germany and so forth. So I think we're going to start seeing the beginnings of that this week as, uh, you know, as the Russians don't seem capable of snuffing out the Ukrainian resistance. Got it. Tim, next 24 hours, what are you looking for? Well, I'm going to shift my focus away from the, the deadlock in Kiev. There's a city up in the north called Melitopol, and Melitopol is a, excuse me, majority Russian-speaking uh, a city. It was overrun on March 1st after the uh, after the Russians cut the power, and and uh, people emerged from their basements to find the Russian troops all over the city. And every day since then, they've been protesting, getting in front of the trucks not allowing them to move. And these are the Russian speakers allegedly Putin was rescuing from hostile Ukrainians. And the Russian speakers apparently, as near as you can tell from the reporting, are unanimous in their rejection of Putin uh, invasion of Ukraine. They want nothing to do with being part of Russia. They want nothing to do with the Russian armed forces. And I'm interested to see how long this continues. In other words, when do the flesh and wolf and start start speaking and knocking these and and knocking some of these people uh, uh, out of the game? I don't know. It takes an awful hard man to start machine gunning civilians, or a very very scared one. I, I'm thinking specifically of an army specialist in Kabul who is terrified. But other than that, it takes a hard guy, and I I I don't I don't think that if they even say. Start shooting these these creeps. Their uh, their their protests are, are are interfering with our business. I don't think the I don't I don't know how many guys he has that will do that, because it's not an easy it's not an easy order to follow at, at all. Even even the fucking Taliban. Well, let, let me just, and, and especially to me, you're gonna you're gonna do this to Ukrainians. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, or it's, it's, Russian speaking Russian speakers too. Right. Right. Your own, your own kin. Right. Your own kin. Even the Taliban, when they wanted to cap somebody that they had their hands on, would bring in a dude to do it, a guy that was a designated killer who came in, disposed of the guy, and left because nobody wanted to be around this son of a bitch. Now, the Afghans are a little bit peculiar about this murdering stuff, um, unless it's done in, with hot blood, in which case they're completely for it. But even the Afghans are, are queasy about killing noncombatants, and, and they're, they're not too queasy about killing, you know, Daughters who talk about my, shit like that—it's weird. That's not, that's, yeah. that's not my experience with them, but yeah, no, no, I, I, well, I knew one of those guys. He was a shooter, which is how I, I knew about this. But I'm, I'm just pointing out that it's not, it's, it's not, it's not going to be. 
I don't think he could turn on his spick and all of his troops are going to start hosing down uh, the civilians with, with uh, belt-fed machine guns. I don't think they can do it. Yeah, I don't that, think they- that was a point Jeff made yesterday. I, I mean, look, yeah. we're not, again, if, if in order to be that, I think you have to be a third world, a fourth world country where, you know, you, you don't grow up like even these young kids in the Russian military. I mean, they've grown up with cell phones. They've grown up more connected than any Russian, you know, young people ever, no matter what is said, right? And then now they're going to turn. It's not like you got guys on the farm and they're fighting to, for the Rodina and it's like fire and you obey orders. You know, this. The, it's just not the same, right? And so I I think Jeff's point yesterday was well made. Yeah, it was. It was. And it will be. But I fear it will be the same if Russia, and I'm getting way ahead of us now, forcibly ejected back across their borders with, with forces coming after them. Then I think the nature of the of the of the Russian army changes. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Let me tell you, Jim. I don't see that. I don't. I don't see I, them. I hope not. I don't see. I don't either, see anybody. I don't see anybody pursuing into Russia. Um, you know, uh, the Ukrainian military restoring its border. I don't think. I don't. I would be. I would be surprised. Maybe in the in the tactical vicinity to conclude an operation. Maybe, but I don't see anybody campaigning or moving into Russia. I don't. I, I wouldn't see that. I, let us hope not. Let let us hope not. But but I've seen too much weird shit these last few days to give me any hope of a reasonable solution emanating from Washington D.C. I don't. Oh I no don't. no. Let me tell you, that's not good. We're, that's not going to be where the solution comes from. No yeah. hell no. It, right. it definitely won't. But we could definitely. I could see them getting us involved. And and, and well, I've made my point about that enough. I shall be quiet. All right, all right, boys. First of all, thank you. Uh, my lens is, you know, I'm curious about. You know, they, they arrested over 4,000 people in Russia yesterday. And again, yeah. you know, we, we talked about yesterday, we talked about stock market isn't open. You can't do a Visa transaction, MasterCard, American Express. The banks are closed. What the fuck, over? And so um, how, 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 do they, how do they do that? And so, um, so I think that'll be really interesting, and I'm and I'm curious to see how the the world responds. You know, you've already seen Belgium and, and Germany, you know, both leading green nations reconsider their nuclear power plant steps. And so I think that um, whether the world likes it or not, right, um, we're headed to Plan B. So it's going to be very interesting to see how people do the Watusi to get to that. And again, the the third thing I would tell you that I'm in the next twenty four is like. The Russian military continuing to, to seemingly stand pat. Um, maybe I'm not seeing it right, but, I mean, it ain't moving too much. So curious to see if that right. continues. But yeah. anyway, hey, I appreciate you guys doing this, getting up early and, and uh, to accommodate my travel schedule. And uh, I will uh, I will keep you abreast of uh, what my schedule is, and, and hopefully we'll find a way to do this tomorrow. But I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Hey, have a good trip, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. All right. See you, Jeff. Bye-bye, guys. Right. Bye, man. That'll do it on a getaway Monday. Thanks for listening. Uh, amazing to watch, right? And, uh, you know, your heart pulls for the Ukrainians. Your brain says, don't buy into it too quick. And yet you see evidence that the Ukrainian military is holding. So... Um, Again, we'll see what today brings. Uh, as we close in on two weeks into this Russian invasion of Ukraine. So thanks for listening today. Um, 
I'll get this up on the on the uh, on the website very hopefully very quickly, and um, also we recorded on Sunday as well. So don't be afraid to check that out. And Will hopped in yesterday. He's doing some driving, so uh, you can hear Will. So anyway, I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio, and on that note, I'm out.